Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Gardenmore Presbyterian Church. Keep up to date on our website, gardenmorechurch.org, or search for us on Facebook. Time flies when you're enjoying yourself, or so the saying goes. Although that phrase was probably coined when there wasn't a global pandemic that has seriously hampered all of our lives. But the time has certainly flown since we first began to look at the life of Joseph. Sermon 1 on Joseph was preached, would you believe, on the 17th of July last year, and it will be a few weeks until we come to the end of this series of sermons on his life. It's back where we began in Genesis chapter 37 that the story of Joseph's life begins. And if you go back there, it's interesting to read what the opening words of the second verse of that chapter actually are. It says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. In other words, Joseph is introduced as part of Jacob's family. And that's significant to remember because while Jacob may have been largely absent in terms of the chapters that we've studied already together, he has in some ways hovered over and above everything that has happened to his son. From being sold into slavery, through his imprisonment in Egypt, to his rise to become the prime minister of that country. For all of this, Jacob has not ceased being Joseph's father. Time and distance have not altered that truth. A father does not forget his child even if that child has died. Or in Jacob's case, even if he believes that child has passed away because we know that Joseph was alive and well this whole time. And it's abundantly clear that Joseph himself has in no way forgotten his father who loved him so much. Have you noticed as we've studied these chapters that almost every time that Joseph met his brothers, he inquired about his father. And here in chapter 46, after the reunion with his brothers, we have the beginning of Joseph finally being reunited with his father, Jacob. And just three things to consider as we think about Jacob as he sets out to meet his long lost son. Firstly, Jacob commits his way to the Lord. And we see that so clearly in the very first verse. Let me read it. So Israel, or Jacob, set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices there to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, it would be very easy to excuse Jacob had he have instantly rushed down to Egypt in the excitement of the moment to see his son. Put yourself in his shoes. It had been 25 years since he had waved him off as a teenage boy. Feel the loss and the sorrow and the pain of his heart at losing his son in what he believed were the most awful of circumstances. And then feel the joy and the sense of anticipation that must have been coursing through his very soul as he learned that Joseph was alive. 
We could forgive Joseph 1,000 times over for acting on impulse and getting the express train to Egypt. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he takes things much more carefully and measuredly than that. He's now 130 years old and he has been round a few corners in that long life of his. He's not going to rush things now. He has already been apart from Joseph for a full generation and so a few more days is not going to make that much of a difference. And besides, there is a much more pressing reason why Jacob does not make undue haste to see Joseph. This patriarch knows that before he does anything, he needs to seek the face of the Lord and be guided by God in what the next step for him will be. And what a wise thing that was for him to do for several reasons. Jacob knew that Egypt was a pagan country. It was a nation that worshipped a whole host of false gods. There was the Nile God, the Water God, the Land God, the Crops God, the Animal God, the Moon God, and over all of them, the Sun God, Ra. Egypt, therefore, was a land of spiritual danger. And Jacob was aware of that. And so he was in no rush to leave the land of promise for the land of Egypt. Then Egypt also held painful historical memories for Jacob. Because it was in Egypt that his grandfather, no less than Abraham himself, had succumbed to telling lies about his wife Sarah that got him into all kinds of trouble. And if you want, you can read about that in the last half of Genesis chapter 12. If Abraham of all people fell in Egypt, what potential dangers were lurking for Jacob? Then he also knew that God had specifically told his father Isaac in Genesis chapter 26 verse 2 that he was not to go down to Egypt. He was to remain in the land that God would tell him to live in. So would it, would, would it be a mistake for Jacob to rush headlong there if God had told his father not to set foot in the country? And yet despite the, the questions, the dangers and the, the hazards that he was all too aware of, as Jacob would have listened to his sons recount all the amazing things that that they had experienced and had occurred, it would have been clear to Jacob that God had been acting providentially for many years and in many ways up to this point. In Jacob being alive and in Egypt, in him rising to a position of prominence at a time of famine, and then God sovereignly ordaining the reunion of his fractured and dysfunctional family. And so what was Jacob to do? Faced with reasons for not going and yet reasons for going as well. 
Well, he did absolutely the right thing in verse 1 of chapter 46. He paused to seek the Lord. He offered sacrifices to God at Beersheba. And in effect, he was really doing several important things. He was demonstrating that he was a worshipper of God. He was showing that he was a sinner in need of pardon. And he was affirming that he needed as a child of God the guidance of God for the future and whether it was safe for him to go down to Egypt. He was demonstrating first and foremost that he was a worshipper of God. Now, I know that I've been called to be the teaching elder of Gardenmoor Presbyterian Church. I've studied hard at university and in seminary, and so you'd probably expect me to offer something deep and, and intellectually significant whenever I preach the word of God. Well, here it is. Ready? Take a pen and write this down. As a worshipper of God, Jacob worshipped God. Now that might not sound hugely profound whenever it's said like that. But let me encourage you not to let the simplicity of that statement mask the importance of the action that is actually carried out. Jacob worshipped God. Not out of a sense of duty. Not because he had a guilty conscience about it. Not because he thought other people would be duly impressed if they observed what he was doing. No. It was his heart and life's natural response to his awareness of the majesty, the holiness and the glory of God who's enthroned above the entirety of his creation over which he rules and he reigns and this God works graciously and lovingly in the lives of his people. Jacob worshipped this God. It's very easy to say or to claim that you are a worshipper of God. And yet, it may not seem to be that much of a priority in your life. Kind of like the person who has all the cookbooks on the shelf Gordon Ramsay, Delia Smith, Jamie Oliver, Raymond Blanc. And they might look as if they could whip up a Michelin star four-course meal at the drop of a hat. But press that person and ask them, have you ever actually cooked these recipes? And they say, no. No, but, but I look at them. Every day, I read them all the time. I know all the ingredients of every recipe. I know the temperature that the oven needs to, to be at. I know how long every recipe needs to be cooking for, but I've never actually cooked them. It can be like that with the worship of God. We can talk a good game. We can give all the right answers. But if we're not actually worshiping and exalting the Lord, and giving him glory and singing him his praise, then we are not really who we might claim we are. I'll say it again. Jacob was a worshipper of God. And he shows it here in Beersheba before he does anything else. 
And then in offering sacrifices to God, Jacob also showed that he was a sinner in need of the forgiveness of God. Because that was, that's what sacrifices were for the people of God in the Old Testament. They were acts of worship whereby a person's sin was confessed and an animal sacrificed to take that sin away. And every sacrifice that we read of in the Old Testament anticipates the better sacrifice that would be made in the new. When Jesus would be sacrificed for the sins of all those whose faith and whose trust is in him. Jacob was doing with an animal what the Lord Jesus did himself. And of course Jacob knew that he needed to do this. He wasn't going to see Joseph because he was self-righteous, because he was confident that he had it all sewn up and he could just saunter down to Egypt and everything was all going to be fine and dandy. Not at all. He was ensuring that his sin was dealt with right then and right there before he took another step, turning to the one who alone could deal with the weight of his sin and the offence of his iniquity. And you know, each and every one of us needs to do this too. You and I need to turn to God for his forgiveness for our sins, to rely on the sacrifice that Christ has made for us, and to do it right now if we have not yet done so, before we take another step in wherever we wish to be in life. Can I ask you, have you asked God to forgive you, to cleanse you, to heal all your spiritual diseases and sicknesses through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because not one of us can be assured of being safe in whatever Egypt we find ourselves, unless the blood of Christ has covered our sins and what the Lamb of God has done has cleansed us and made us new. And then as Jacob sacrificed at Beersheba, he was affirming, wasn't he, that a child of God, he was in need of the guidance of God for his future. For what he was about to do and where he was about to go was a huge decision for him to make. And he was only going to do it if he knew in his heart that he was right in the centre of the will of God. And you know, when it comes to the big decisions of our lives, we too need to take time to seek the Lord, just as Jacob did here. Such as what career path we might choose, what job we might apply for, what church we might attend, what person we will go out with, what place we will live, what things we'll spend our money on. Big decisions, big pressures, big consequences for us. And it's so easy, so tempting sometimes to just rush into things. And we think ourselves, this is the right thing to do, or that is the right person to be with, or this is the way I should go. And we do so without ever taking time to seek God and to do what Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 
tell us so clearly we are to do, namely, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. We need humbly to ask God for his guidance, to pray to him that he will make his will clear to us and reveal to us what we're to do. Now let me say that doesn't mean that we're going to receive a a Damascus Road blinding flash of light. Uh, It's not that an angel or angels are going to appear in our bedrooms and, and direct us in a very specific way. Rather, it's the It's the bell for us to get into God's word where his voice speaks. To go to those passages, those verses that are going to shed light directly upon our situations. It means being alert to other ways that God guides his people. Seeking the advice and the counsel of of people we love and respect in the Lord and who love and respect us in the Lord. Also bringing to bear all our common sense to ascertain is there anything barring us from pursuing this way which we feel is of the Lord Jacob sought the Lord he wanted to know that his direction of travel was taking him to where God wanted him to be and if you look at the passage it's when he does that come those wonderfully affirming words directly from God. In verses 2 to 4, Jacob, Jacob. Oh, and by the way, can you think of other places in Scripture where God addresses people and he calls their name twice? Jacob, Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. What a moment that must have been for Jacob to have received such a wonderfully clear answer from the Lord. The reassurance that God was his God just as he'd been the God of his father Isaac before him. The comfort of not having to be afraid of going into Egypt despite it being a pagan country. The blessing that the Lord himself was going down to Egypt with him. He would not be in his own And then verse 4, that in God's time, he would bring the people of Israel, the, the family of Jacob eventually, back to the promised land once again. And then in verse 5, this wonderfully personal word to Jacob of how his own son Joseph's hand would close his eyes when he breathed his last. You see, when Jacob truly sought the Lord, Jacob was truly answered by the Lord. God guided and directed his path because Jacob trusted 
in the Lord with all his heart. As God will do for us, if we seek him humbly, prayerfully, and as we are attentive to the word that he's given us in our lives day by day by day. Now, God willing, next time we will look at the moment when Jacob and Joseph do finally meet. And they cry and they embrace and they express to each other mutually their deep love and care. But for now, just before that happens, we have Jacob and he is someone who worships God, someone who seeks the Lord, someone who commits the entirety of his future way to the Lord as the spotlight of the story of Joseph for a time shines directly upon his father Jacob. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word.